Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Today we're going to be exploring this question, is there more to life than this? I think uh, growing up um, here in Oklahoma, the expectation that was placed upon me as to what life was all about was that you grew up, you graduated high school, you went to college, uh, you got a degree, you found a profession, you got married, you had kids, and that was the whole meaning of life. You know, at various times in my life, I would sit there and maybe ask fleeting questions about deeper questions, but ultimately I thought life was all about finding the person that you love, marrying them, having kids, and one day retiring. I think that many of us maybe kind of go through life asking some of these same questions. We, we don't really take the time to think about the big questions about what is next, about is this all there is to this life? Bernard Levin was one of the great columnists of the last century, writing a long time ago, but he wrote this. He wasn't a Christian, but one time he wrote, for the 14,000th time, I'm not a Christian, but he said this. Countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts of the world. Together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, Yet they lead lives of desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside of them, and however much food and drink that they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets that they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges, it still aches. Bernard Levin said that, Russell Brand, excuse me, said that drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill the hole that is inside of me. I think that looking back, many of us might say that there are times in which we have experienced and felt a sort of similar hole, a hunger in our lives, a spiritual hunger for something more. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the one who can satisfy the spiritual hunger that really nothing else satisfies. There was a Japanese woman who um, explained that, um, that, that in Japan there were like two stomachs. One stomach, she says, were for ordinary food, for meat and potatoes and that kind of thing. And that's like, I guess, the equivalent of the kind of things that Bernard Levin was talking about. Good things. Maybe, you know, possibilities and relationships and the real kinds of things that fills up one stomach. But the woman said that there is a second stomach. And in this stomach, she says that they fill with rice. She said, unless we eat rice, we do not feel satisfied. 
I guess if Jesus had been speaking to a Japanese culture, he might have said, I am the rice of life. I am the one who can satisfy the other stomach. I'm the one who can satisfy the spiritual hunger. Now, why is that? Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the life, and the truth. I am the way. I had uh, a friend who shared a story about uh, she had hired a um, college-age student who was an international student to come and help with her kids after school. And um, she sometimes got American idioms um, off just a little bit. One evening as uh, they're trying to get dinner ready, they hear this ruckus going on upstairs. And she ran upstairs, and what she meant to say when she heard this ruckus is she wanted to say, what in the world are you doing? But rather, she actually said, what are you doing in the world? Many of us might ask that same question, what are we doing here? In other words, why am I here? Where have I come from? Where am I heading? Who am I? What is the point of my life? Is there meaning? Is there purpose? These are oftentimes the questions that we sometimes ponder. The Russian novelist Leo, Sto Leo Tolstoy, who wrote War and Peace, um, reflected on this, talked about this, and he described that as a child he had rejected Christianity. And he had, um, he had started to search for some meaning and purpose in his life. He thought that maybe the purpose and meaning in life was worldly riches. Uh, or maybe it was having fun and, and he would sit there and he would fill his life with going out and parties and drinking and food. He lived a life that was promiscuous. He, he, he led a worldly life and Tolstoy said, I still feel empty. So he thought, well, maybe money is the answer. And he inherited a great deal of money. He started to make a bit more money as he um, started writing um, books. And he said that he found that money was a little bit like seawater. The more you drink of it, the more that you um, become thirsty. He thought that maybe fame and success for them would make him happy, and if I can really be successful, then I could be happy. And um, many um, experts on literature would say that he probably wrote one of the two or three greatest novels in the whole world, and success did not satisfy him. Jim Carrey, the uh, comedian actor, once said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they have ever dreamed of and they can see that it is not the answer. Tolstoy saw that it was not the answer. He thought, well, maybe it's about relationships. And so he got married and he had a family and he had 13 children. He was surrounded by what everyone would say was a successful life. He had money. He had fame, he had a family, he had everything it appeared that was necessary for happiness. 
And he said, yet that one question drove him to the verge of suicide, and the question was this. What meaning does my life have that the inevitability of death does not destroy? He started to think about this, and he thought, well, the philosophers must have an answer to this question. The scientists must have an answer and have knowledge that they can provide. So he started to research every field of science and philosophy to try to come to the answer of what was life all about. When he looked around at his friends and his contemporaries, and they weren't really even facing up to the question, eventually he found it in the very poor in Moscow. But they had found their answer in the faith in Jesus Christ. hundred years later, nothing changed. Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, had amassed a huge fortune. Thousands and millions of fans followed him, and he admitted in an interview shortly before his death that he was desperately lonely. He said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of uh, pounds, but it has prevented me from having the one thing that I really wanted, a loving, ongoing relationship. And ultimately, there is only one relationship that is totally loving and goes on forever, and that is a relationship with God and Jesus said, I am the way to that relationship. So what difference does it make? As a child, um, I finally uh, went to the optometrist uh, sometime in my high school years. And when I was tested for my eyesight, the optometrist says, you have a horrible astigmatism. And I didn't know what that was. I was afraid I was dying. And so he explained to me that an astigmatism means that my eyes have to work really hard against each other in order to see and read. And he said, didn't your eyes hurt? And weren't they tired all the time? And I said, yes. And he said, and you never thought to ask anything about it. And I just thought that that was what was normal. So my optometrist goes and gets me a pair of eyeglasses and you know I still have an astigmatism but my eyes don't have to fight so hard and um, I can see better. Now I could see all the time with this astigmatism but once I had glasses I could see so much better. C.S. Lewis says it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun has risen, not only because I can see it, but through it I see everything. And to me, that is what Jesus is like. He is the lens in order to see God. He is the way to God, and he is the lens by which we see the world in a totally different dimension. Jesus said, I am the way. And he said, I am the truth. You could say, well, that's grace. That's nice for you in this relationship with Jesus that you find meaning and purpose in your life. Great for you, but it's not for me. Logically, logically that can't be the case because if it's true, it's true for everyone. And if it's not true, it's not true for me. 
So it really matters if it's true or not. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says Christianity is a statement which, if it is false, is of no importance, and which is, if true, is of great importance. But the one thing it can't be is moderately important. So that's the question. Is it true? Well, we'll look a whole lot more in detail about that next week. A few years ago, I became interested in my family tree, particularly on my father's side, who I did not have a lot of information about. In order to learn about them, I wanted to go into the sources and find out as much as I could. Where had they lived? What occupations did they have? What happened to his brothers and sisters? And um, I went into and I wanted to see the sources. It's astonished me as I have looked about faith and life and about Jesus that, that, that there are many, um, it has astounded me that, that, that there's evidence for this in this life, that the death of resurrection of Jesus is there and there is amazing information about it. It has astonished me for how much evidence there is in this life of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Of course, there are many highly intelligent people who are atheists, but equally there are many highly intelligent people who have looked at the evidence and they have come to the conclusion that Jesus is true. One former professor of modern history at Oxford University described the resurrection as the best attested fact in history. I don't know if you've ever thought about how many of the pioneers of modern science were believers. People like Descartes and Newton, Kepler, Galileo, Copernicus, the list goes on and on. Or take one of the greatest scientists of our time, Francis Collins. Francis Collins was the director of the Historic Human Genome Project, one of the most respected genetic biologists in the world. He talks about how he investigated the evidence and he was amazed. He said at the historical evidence that he found for Jesus Christ and he got, talks about going out one day, looking at the beauty of creation and falling to his knees and asking for a deep relationship with Jesus. Now, when Jesus says, I am the truth, the Hebrew understanding of truth is not really about an intellectual truth or head knowledge. It's about knowledge in the heart. In other words, truth as experiential. What's the difference between intellectual and heart knowledge? Kristen and I have been married now for some 17 years. Um, years going on 40, but before we got married, um, if I had never learned anything more about her, if we just sort of had the same base information about where she was from and who her family was and where they had um, come from, then um, I would not have any deeper of a relationship today than I did then. When Jesus said, I am the truth, he was talking about an experience of truth. 
that we could have a relationship with him and experience Jesus, not just that there's evidence for the resurrection, but we can actually experience a relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth, and then he said, I am the life. He said, I have come so that you can have life and you can live life in its fullness. And he said that he would come to deal with the stuff, the stuff that stops us from doing that. The things that spoil our lives and stop us from enjoying it in the full. Now, I hate shopping. I loathe shopping. I am allergic to shopping. And I don't think I'm the only person. There was an article in the Evening Standard, which was entitled, Official, Men Find Shopping Stressful. Now, I don't want to suggest that there's any sort of gender stereotype, but I just want to read you what this, not my words, what the article said. Male stress levels soar when they're faced with the dilemma of choosing gifts and coping with crowded shops. The research was conducted by the psychologist, Dr. David Lewis, who monitored blood pressure and heart rates before, during, and after the shopping trip. The peak levels of stress were equivalent to emergency situations experienced by fighter pilots or policemen going into dangerous situations. Even the thought of going shopping was enough to send stress levels soaring with more than 70% recording above-average readings before leaving home. Now, this is what I feel about shopping. I find shopping immediately stressful, and I try to avoid going shopping. But a few uh, months ago, uh, around Christmas time, um, you know, Kristen persuaded me, this will be fun, we'll go shopping together and and we went in and we did it and 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 so we you know we had this moment of shopping together and then we go into another store and and looking for more things um, as we finished our shopping and we picked out some things we're leaving and the alarm goes off I don't know if you've ever had that experience of trying to leave the storm and suddenly the the, the security uh, beeps start going off and you have to try to convince them that you have not stolen anything. Store employees came over to look at us to see if we were thieves. And in the midst of this was sort of the attention that was placed on us, people looking at us. People who were stopped looking and, and, and were, were, were various places. They stopped six people. They isolated the six of us and put us sort of in a little space. And this crowd were here watching us and this crowd were here waiting. And they had to go through security one at a time. First went through one, fine. And a second one went through, fine. A third, a fourth, all fine. And then it was Kristen's turn to go through. She went through, fine, that left me. I went through security and off went the alarms. And I thought, oh God, I'm guilty. What had I done? I must have accidentally picked something up in the shop. I was going to be caught shoplifting. I was going to be arrested. I was going to be prosecuted. I'd end up in jail. And there was this crowd just watching me. 
They could see that the guy had been caught and the security said, okay, we need to search your bags. And I said, okay, search my bags. They searched my bags and they found a sweater with a security tag from the shop where we had been before that had set off the alarm. Now, I felt guilt, but that's a sort of false guilt. But there's a real guilt that from time to time we experience, and Jesus came to deal with that guilt. This is the amazing news, is that God loves you. You are loved. It is the most important thing to take away from this talk, that you are loved, that God loves you. He came in the person of his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you and for me. He took our guilt. He took our bad stuff in, in your place, in my place, in order that we might live free lives to enjoy life in the full. And this is the most wonderful and amazing news. And to me, it was totally life-changing. There's this little book called Why Jesus, and there are plenty of them um, available. If you'd like one, just contact the church office and we'll give you one. And there's a prayer in the very back that you can pray to start a relationship with God and Jesus Christ. There was an article about the rocker Alice Cooper, the musician, musician, and he talks about his own conversion this way. He says it is, wasn't easy combining religion and rock. It's the most rebellious thing I've ever done. Drinking beer was easy. Trashing a hotel room was easy. But being a Christian is a tough call. That's real rebellion. The Christian life is not easy, but what I would say is that my experience of this relationship of God through Jesus, it is not boring, it is not untrue, and it is not irrelevant. I do believe it's true. I do believe that it is relevant. And I have found that Jesus is really the bread of life that fulfills the world. He's the one who gives us meaning and purpose. He's the one who satisfies the hunger. There's so much to explore during these next few weeks. I want you to uh, encourage you to discuss and think and reflect together. That this is a really exciting thing that we get to do. But what I have found is that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life. In this relationship, we find life and find it in its fullness. Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org. And peace be with you.